So this is Romans 10, 14 to 17. I focused on this, these verses before. We're not, the whole sermon isn't going to be on these verses. It's going to be on the summary in Lord's Day 21. Uh, but just to tell you, this is, this is about a particular, very important part of the church and church life. I would say the central part of church life uh, from what the Bible teaches here, preaching. So listen, listen, to what, listen to what God's word says. Again, remember, this is focusing on the preached word. This is God's holy and infallible word. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and this is always a little awkward for a preacher to read, How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all the Israelites accepted the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. All right? Then on the screens will be Lord's Day 21. It's also, I'll be referring to it more often in the message, so... You're welcome to keep that open. It's on page 27 in the back of the blue hymnal. If you want to keep that open during the message to kind of look back on. We were in Lord's Day 10 and the idea of providence last. So now we're kind of jumping ahead to Lord's Day 21. I'll read the question and then if you would read the answers, that would be great. What do you believe concerning the Holy Catholic Church? What do you understand by the communion of saints? Just by the way, all these quotes are because this is explaining the Apostles' Creed, right? These are all little phrases about the church and the Apostles' Creed. What do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? So we're picking out these highlights of the faith from the Heidelberg Catechism. And this lesson is summarizing what the Bible tells us about the church. All the topics of the faith, including the church, are, are big. There's a lot in the Bible about them. And that's what's so handy about something like the Catechism. It condenses 
what we have in the Bible with helpful summaries for us. Very, very useful. And I I certainly encourage you uh, on any of these matters to dig deeper by going into the Bible yourself or dig deeper by joining a Bible study or a small group or starting one or by reading some good Christian writers. For this morning on the church, we're going to focus on five things you need to know about the church. All right? Five things you need to know about the church. Number one, first of all, the church equals God's people. The church equals God's people. There's once a man who is answering a question while taking a national poll, and the poll questioner asked, they they asked him about his church preference, and his response was red brick. But the church is not brick and mortar. The church is not a building. There's nothing about brick. There's nothing about a building in this answer at all. The church is people. The church equals people. What kind of people? God's people. A community says our lesson that God, out of the entire human race, gathers, protects, and preserves for himself a people chosen for eternal life. The word for church comes originally from the New Testament, and it means literally the called out ones, called out by God, of course. The church consists of people who have been called out to be part of God's special plan. What plan is that? Well, it's the plan of redemption, the plan of salvation, the plan for people who are lost in their sin. Jesus came to die and rise again and make atonement for our sin and to give us new life. The cross, the empty tomb, Jesus' work, it doesn't have much meaning apart from the people that Jesus did all that for, right? And those people that Jesus did all that for, that's the church. When you talk about going to church with your family, don't think about going to this building, as great and useful a building as this is. When you go to church, you're going to be with, to gather with God's people. I want you to listen to Sarah, my wife's family verse growing up, because it it gets at the church and God's people. Just listen to 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. The church equals God's people. Second important thing you need to know, the church equips people in their ultimate purpose. God saves his people. God calls them out. God chooses them for a purpose, to live for him, to be a part of what he's doing in this world, a part of his mission in the world, to share his love and share his grace. People, the number one thing when it comes down to it that people struggle with, I think a lot of it comes down 
to purpose. If you think about some of the struggles you've maybe had yourself, if you think about struggles in the life of of someone you love, someone you're close to, I think a lot of it boils down to purpose. Why am I, what, why, what am I here for? What am I doing? And, and people can seek that purpose when they struggle with it. They can search it out in lots of wrong places, in, in pleasure, in their work, in their family even, in addictions. None of that solves the ultimate problem. None of that feeds the ultimate hunger that God created people with. To be in a good relationship with Him. I quoted it a month ago and I remind you of it. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in lots of other things possible that we try, but the answer is God. We are restless until we find our rest in God. The same Augustine, an early church father who said that, also said that if God is our father who we need to find rest in, well, then the church is our mother. So that's putting a... Your mom's pretty important, right? A mother is quite important. That's uh, the level that a a really well-respected church early church father puts the church at. If God is our father, then the church is our mother. That's how important she is. It is. The church equips us to live the life we were created to live. That's one of the many things this body does. School equips you for a career, hopefully. Being an apprentice equips you in a certain trade. Marriage counseling will equip you in your marriage. A book on finances can equip you to do better with your money. As important as all of these equippings are, the church is even more important because in the church you are equipped in your ultimate purpose, the one that gives purpose and focus to everything else you do in your life, to be God's child to know his grace more and more, to be assured of his grace, to live and rest in him, and to grow in his grace and to share his grace. Third, the church provides all the benefits of Christ. That's in the second question and answer we looked at. People in the church share in Christ and in all his treasures and gifts. The treasures of Jesus are for those who are in his church. What might we come up with here when we think of the treasures of Jesus? Well, everything the Bible promises us. Eternal life being adopted into the family of God. 1 Corinthians 12 talks of spiritual gifts like wisdom and knowledge and faith. We think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, peace, joy, patience, all the rest. Forgiveness is highlighted in the last question and answer, the fact that God does not hold against us our sins. 
We could think of righteousness and holiness and purpose and fellowship and community. We could go on and on. If someone isn't part of the church, that person should not expect to find all of these blessings. And the funny thing is that people try that. They seem to think that they can get the blessings of God apart from the people of God. But it doesn't really work that way. The church equals God's people, which is the place that provides God's blessings for all who are a part of it. Fourth, the church demonstrates authentic unity. You might wonder about that one because so often in our world we hear about church division. And I mean it's kind of obvious, right? There's different churches on different corners of the street. There are Lutherans, there are Baptists, there are Reformed, there are Presbyterians, there are Episcopalians, and you can go on and on. But the church is more unified than you might think. The reality is, I would suggest that the church is the most unified institution in the world. It's a community, as the catechism says, united in true faith. Compare the church to any other community, any other group you can think of. Maybe a company, a business, a social club, a political party, even a group of of great fans, like fans of the Chicago Bears, I would say that none of those has even close to something that's as unifying as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Nothing is as unifying as the power of the Holy Spirit in people's hearts and lives. People in the church may be from different backgrounds, may be different color skins, may have different ages, may have different ideas about all kinds of stuff. But we are on the road of salvation together. We're headed to the same place. We were together brought out of darkness into the light to see the light of Jesus, to walk in the light, to shine the light. Sometimes there are different places where we feel like we really belong. Maybe on a sports team that's doing really well and winning and everyone has their part. Maybe there can be belonging in an online community of some sort. Maybe it's in a club of some sort where everyone's your age and it's kind of cool to hang out with Everyone who's your age. Maybe everyone's in their 20s like you. Or maybe you're in Florida during the winter and everyone else is like you. They're all of retirement age. And that's, that's kind of neat. That's fine. That's okay. But the church is where you really, truly belong. Okay? These are your people. These are your people. We've got the same outlook on life. The only place it really, truly matters. These are the people that you're going to spend eternity with. God's people are your people. The church demonstrates real unity 
in the world better than any place else does. Finally, and we're going to spend a little time on this number five, the church thrives with living members. Living members, that's an interesting little phrase in our answer, the first one we read, of this community, I am and always will be a living member. It's kind of interesting. It implies it's possible to have dead members, doesn't it? It implies there can be dead wood in the pew. It implies someone can have their name on the membership role of the church, but maybe not have their name in the book of life, the membership roles that really matter. What I want to do in just the the rest of our time is share with you a vision today of how Faith CRC can thrive through us being living Members of the church, okay? How can you be a living member? What do living members at faith look like? First, there's going to be four, okay? First, living members at Faith CRC love to worship. To us at Faith CRC, worshiping together is important. All the statistics say that public worship is becoming less important to people. I just shared an article with our council that was called Twice a Month, the New Norm. And you know what that referred to? Um, Church attendance. And the gist of it was, while a generation ago, and actually this was written by someone in the Christian Reformed Church, So particular to our denomination. A generation ago, the idea of the article was that twice a Sunday used to be the norm. And now, even people committed to the church seem to be averaging more like twice a month instead. And there are all kinds of reasons we could go into for this trend. And it's it's sort of a cultural trend. But I'm bringing it up to make you aware of it and to say, I don't think we should be content with that. That, hey, okay, this is a trend. We got to realize it. We got to kind of roll with that. And that has implications for how we communicate to people if they're only around twice a month, all that stuff. I don't think we should be content with that. I say we have to start reversing the trend here at Faith. Where do you think, you know, sometimes when you make a decision as a family or as an individual, the wise thing to do is to project ahead, right? Where is this going to lead? You do that for your business. If I make this change, where will this end up in 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Now, sometimes people make decisions and they don't, they don't think ahead, but that's, that's not too bright. That's not too bright. Your business, if you didn't do that as a business, you would have trouble if you didn't plan ahead. So let's just, this is a trend that that I read about, shared this article with the council. So the reason I'm saying I don't think we should be 
content with this is I thought about, I tried to think about the implications. Where do you think this will lead? Do you think it will lead to us being more committed followers of Jesus? Is that where it will lead? Which is what we all want. We want to be stronger Christians. We want to be stronger in our faith. We want it for our church, the next generations. No way will it result in us being more committed Christians to Jesus. Our culture is becoming post-Christian. There are less people who are members of Christian churches in our country every year. I lived in Europe, in the Netherlands, for three years of my life. And I'll tell you what the ultimate outcome of that trend is. It's what you have in Europe. And it's very few Christians. Big, gorgeous church buildings, but a lot of them are just museums. Or if they're not museums yet, they're mostly museums, and then there's a tiny little group of people that meet there sometimes. Very few people of God left. That is the ultimate outcome, along with the very morally bankrupt society that you find in much of Europe. It impacts the church where the church goes. It impacts all of, all of society. So what I'm saying is at some point, we've got to stop this trend. People seem to think you can be a Christian these days without the church or without, with minimal church involvement. But it's not true. That doesn't work. It will result in unbelief. It will result in wandering. If not in our generation, certainly in the next generations. At Faith CRC, we are going to say, not on our watch. We're going to say, not on our watch are we going to give up meeting together. For our church, we can't control what other Christians do. We can't control what other churches do. We can't control whether other churches prioritize worship. But we can be responsible for ourselves and our church. And we are going to be a living church here at Faith. It's while, unlike most every church right around us, we have two worship services a Sunday, a.m. and p.m., two sermons. Not because we have to, not because we're being forced to, not because it's a tradition. It's because we love to worship together. We love worship. And he asked you, why does faith still have a night worship? Well, because the people of faith love to worship. We happen to think it's pretty important. We happen to think it's more important today than ever before. Forget the trends. We're going to step up to the plate here as individuals, as families. There are reasons we can't be in worship sometimes. Of course. Of course. But we're not going to miss public worship for small reasons. We take worship seriously because God does. Because if we take it lightly, where is that going to leave things, the state of things for our kids? Where is that going to leave things for our grandkids? It will only get worse until we've got a whole society like Europe. It's some comfort to know that we're not the only generation that struggles with this. It's as old as the first century A.D. Listen to the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10.25. 
Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. They were... They weren't consistent as they should have been then. But let us encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching. So let us encourage one another to make decisions that make worship a priority. Why do we love worship at faith? Why are we committed to it? Because it's an opportunity to meet with the living God. It's where we, through the preached word, receive God's grace. Back to that Romans 10 passage I read. Faith comes through hearing God's word. We believe that happens in faithful preaching. There are a variety of places and ways that your faith is built up. I know. Christian radio, your devotions, your small group. There are a variety of ways that we can grow in grace, but there is nowhere to go There is no place to receive God's grace like here in public worship. That's how God designed it. And so we love to worship together at Faith CRC. A second thought on what it means to be a living member at Faith so our church thrives. We invest in our kids' future. Deuteronomy 6 is a great passage. It talks about passing down the faith to the next generations. And we take that seriously, passing the faith down to the next generations. For that reason, we invest in our kids by investing in some amazing children and youth ministries, nurseries, children's church, Sunday school, catechism, cadets, gems, middle school, youth group, high school youth groups. As adults, we invest in our kids in at least a couple of ways We make sure those ministries are well-staffed and strong. As adults, we all take responsibility for that. This is the second or third year in a row now that our Sunday school teachers are all in place weeks before Sunday school starts. Isn't that amazing? That's an, an example of our investment. Across the board in these ministries, we step up. We make them healthy and strong. We also send our children to these ministries. These are not decisions for our kids to make, whether to go or not. They are children. These are decisions for parents to make. And parents at faith, at their children's baptism, have promised to do all in their power to raise kids into Christian discipleship. At faith, that's not empty words. It's followed up with actions. In two weeks, Sunday school and catechism start for first grades through 12th grades. Our kids are there. They're in those classes. It's a priority. The gathering, our high school ministry, starts tonight. Our high school kids are there, and they bring their friends. The new middle school ministry has been going strong since it started last fall. Our 6th through 8th graders participate. We work hard together as a church so that kids are raised in the things of God so they can learn about the Lord and his ways and so that they can make a commitment to him in their life. It's the most important thing we can do for our kids in the world. We invest so much in our kids. We invest in school. It's an investment. We invest in sports and music lessons. We invest in comforts like cell phones and all the rest. 
Whatever else we do for our kids, we put their spiritual well-being first. We recognize, and Deuteronomy 6 gets us there, that the home is the center of spiritual life. What happens in the home, that is the center of spiritual life and growth. Well, we as a church at Faith, we want to come alongside of families and help. I know almost all of these children's and youth ministries up close and the people who lead them, and I'm convinced they are top-notch tools to help our kids grow in faith and to help them receive the grace of God for their own. I don't think you can do any better than right here. What do you do if you don't have young kids at home? You too can invest in our kids' future by volunteering in these ministries, by giving faithfully to our Timothy fund, by giving to our education fund, all sorts of other ways too. All of us. We support Bryce Vanderstelt, our youth director, and all of the dozens and dozens of others who are in these ministries. Living members at faith invest in their kids' future. A third aspect to being living members at faith. Living members at faith have discovered the joy of giving. That was in question answer 55. We use our gifts readily and cheerfully for the service and enrichment of others. Our talents, and we've got a talented bunch here at Faith. Our time, well, we might not have as much time as we have talent, but we have time to give. Serving, we literally have hundreds of volunteers who give their time and talent, and it's incredible. It's a joy. It's a joy to see. It's a joy to be part of the army of God's people here. And we give our money, too, to the church. The Bible talks about the tithe. God's people tithe, giving to their church first, and after that, other kingdom causes as they're able. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe. We've learned as a church, that it's never too late to get our financial priorities straight. You can start new today. You can start new tomorrow. We've learned that it's never too young to start. From the first money you might start earning in high school, God loves a cheerful giver. God gives us his blessings when we give. God gives us his blessing when we do it his way with our finances. My vision is that the faith deacons never have to beg the church to make budget. And my vision is that we can continue to give outside ourselves generously as we have for years and years, as we do until this day. Living members understand that spiritual health includes financial health, both at a personal household level and a church-wide level. Money is not separate from the Christian life. It's part of our sacrifice of thanks for all that Jesus has done, we know and we've discovered the joy of giving at faith. A final thought on what characterizes living members at Faith CRC. They know the power of prayer. Prayer is to God. Living members have a living relationship 
with God the Father first of all, we recognize that that's most important. And we recognize how that is cultivated and built up through prayer to God. And we recognize, too, that we need the church if that relationship with God is to stay healthy. And so we pray for the church. We pray for the church around the world. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters, the church in third world countries and in other challenging situations. We pray for missionaries here and abroad who are sharing the gospel. And we pray for our church, the church we know best and that we're a part of and whose work and ministry we see up close and who we want to see thrive. We pray for those in need in our church. We pray for our pastors. Oh, we need your prayer so much. We pray for our leadership. We pray for newer members so they feel like they belong. We pray for guests who come in so they experience the power of God in this place. We pray for our community that people would respond to the gospel being proclaimed in word and deed in this place. We pray for ministries starting up now and people leading them. We pray most of all that the Holy Spirit would fill this place so that we might be a living and active and thriving church for the glory of God today, for the upbuilding of his people and for the salvation of the world. We pray for the Holy Spirit because the life in living members only comes from him. Jesus on the cross won for us life in God now and forever. The life in living members isn't something that you can manufacture. It's not something you can pay for. It's not something you can produce. It's not something you can imitate. Without his blessing, we're lost. But with him, with God, we can do amazing things. And we can be an amazing people for his glory. So five things you need to know about the church and some priorities, four of them, to help us be living members. May we be living members in a thriving church at Faith CRC today. All for God's glory. Amen.